Let's just pray for the message this morning. Father, we just thank you that we can come together this morning and talk about you and receive from your word. So, Lord, we just pray you would just breathe on your word and write it on the fleshy tables of our hearts and help us to gain encouragement from it and help us to be doers of your word, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, don't turn to them. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to read out of the message um, translation. And uh, the passage I'm going to read from is 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to talk about overcoming disappointments. How many people have ever been disappointed? All the rest of you are liars. And uh, the passage we're going to read is uh, the passage that comes after uh, Elijah has called down fire on Mount Carmel. He's he's burnt up the offering. He's killed the prophets of Baal. He's um, prayed and seen a three-year drought broken. He's run a marathon to get to uh, the king's palace. And then he's confronted by Jezebel. And that's the passage that we're going to read, and it starts at um, 1 Kings 19, verse 2. It says this, Jezebel immediately sent a message to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he was afraid and ran for dear life to Bathsheba, far in the south of Judah. So in other words, he ran as far away as he could get. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and to his surprise, right by his head was a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate and drank his fill and set out. Nourished by the meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. And when he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? Oh, I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. We're not, we're not talking about Jonah running away from God here. Uh, this is Elijah. This is the number one prophet of God in the nation of Israel. This is the guy who called down a drought on the nation. This is the guy who raised a young boy from the dead. This is the guy who three years later called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, 
killed 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, and then prayed and prayed and prayed till the three-year drought was broken. This is Elijah, perhaps the greatest prophet that ever lived. And yet, he's discouraged, he's disappointed, and disappointment has turned to despair, and he's suicidal. After Mount Carmel, Elijah was expecting all of Israel to turn back to God, but it didn't happen. He expected that when the prophets of Baal were killed, when the fire came down on the altar, when the people recognized that God was God, when the rain came, he expected that all of Israel would turn back to God. But the reality was that those that were there on Carmel, those that saw the miracles, they all did turn. And he just expected that word would have spread and that all of Israel would turn back to God. But when he gets to Jezebel's palace and he receives that affront from her, it suddenly hits him that Israel hasn't turned. And that disappointment and that subsequent physical fatigue just opened him up to an attack of the enemy on his emotions that he wasn't prepared for, and it nearly wiped him out. It's not hard to sacrifice when you can see the significance of your sacrifice. But when you've given it all and nobody says thanks, that tests you and that drains you. You know, some of your parents, when you raise your kids as best you can and you pour your life into them and they still have problems and things come back to bite you, it's draining and it's disappointing. But the reality is strong faith doesn't preclude Weak moments. Strong faith doesn't preclude weak moments. Turn to your neighbor and say, strong faith doesn't preclude weak moments. A few months back, I talked to you about the, the three tanks. And I focused on keeping our spiritual tank full uh, keeping our relationship with God really, really strong. But the reality is we need more than just our spiritual tank full. We need to have our emotional tank full, and we need to have our physical tank full. Elijah was spiritually strong, but at this time in his life, he was physically and emotionally depleted and drained, and he was running on empty. Elijah's faith had stopped the drought, had released rain, but personally, at this time, he's in a great drought within. You know, you can be serving God, you can be giving Him 100%, but if you don't look after yourself physically, and if you don't look after yourself emotionally, you open yourself up to the attacks of the enemy who wants to see you taken out, wants to see your life destroyed, 
wants to plant seeds of bitterness in your life that will distort your view of reality. And he wants to cause you to run away from God instead of running to God. In fact, the more you do for God, the greater the target you're going to be. Strong faith doesn't preclude weak moments. Every one of us is susceptible to disappointments. Every one of us can get tired in battle. I grew up in a, in a church that had a, a victory mentality. Everyone was supposed to be victorious 100% of the time. And if you ever came into church with a problem, then the problem was you didn't have enough faith. That's not the reality, people. That's not life. Strong faith doesn't preclude weak moments. People let us down. We make mistakes. We take on responsibilities that are too big for us. Life's difficulties can overtake us. And we can have unrealistic expectations of situations like Elijah did. In fact, Proverbs 13, 12 says, Unrelenting disappointment leaves your heart sick. When that happens, the responsibilities that you have, instead of being a privilege, become a burden. And Elijah says, I've had enough God. Let me die. And I hope we never get to that situation. But many of us, despite our strong faith, can come to a place of despair and can come to a place of giving up you can come for the, to the place of just wanting to lay everything down. So what do you do? What do you do if you find yourself in that situation? Well, the first thing I think you need to do is to look to God in your situation. Because he is there always wanting to look out for you. All through the drought and the famine, if you were to go back and read through the preceding chapters, you'll find that God provided for Elijah every step of the way. God told Elijah exactly where to go to get food and water. And when that source dried up, God told Elijah where to go to get another source. God was leading him. God was guiding him. And that leading and that guiding never stopped, even though Elijah was having a pity party. And God wants to lead us. He wants to guide us through his still small voice and his word. Even when we aren't looking for him, he's still looking out for us. As uh, some of you know, about 10 years ago, I went through a really dark time as a result of mistakes that I'd made. And one of the things that I resolved to do during that time was, was not to give up, but also I chose to run to God instead of running away from God, and that probably saved me. Uh, when problems come, run to God, not away from him, because he's the answer. Uh, when I was overwhelmed, when I was confused as to why things had happened, God sent prophetic words of encouragement, and some of you people here today gave me those, and he prompted people and he prompted churches to stand in the gap on my behalf. I remember Pastor Tark saying to me 
that not many pastors would have survived what we went through. But when he told me that, I just thought, wow, that's the grace of God. And I know it was those words. It was those people. It was those churches and those prayers that got me through that situation. A situation that I couldn't get through just by myself. Don't underestimate the power of your kind words. Don't underestimate your love. Don't underestimate your prayers to be a vehicle that God can use to encourage someone who desperately needs encouragement. You don't know what the person that you're sitting next to this morning is going through. But God does. And sometimes, just a hello, just a, you know, God loves you, just a, hey, I'm praying for you, can be so much of an encouragement and what we need in those situations. Often, we don't know what God's going to use to get us through a drought situation in our lives. We just need to look to him and expect that somehow he'll help us. In the 80s in Australia, there was a Christian music promoter called David Smallbone. He would create, he would promote concerts all over the nation. And in one concert series, because he didn't get enough people to the concerts, he lost a quarter of a million dollars. Creditors repossessed his house. Uh, and so the father of six kids had to look for work elsewhere. A um, top artist offered him a job in Nashville, Tennessee, in the United States. And so the small ones sold everything they had to purchase tickets to the United States. And they arrived there with absolutely nothing else. A few weeks after they arrived... David Smallbone was informed that his position was no longer available. And he literally could not get out of bed for several days. He was absolutely, absolutely bedridden and fearful. I mean, he's in a foreign country, no friends, no job, no money, and a family of six to feed. When you're in those situations, it's not just the burden on yourself. But when you've got responsibilities for a family, they weigh heavier than your own personal situation. Many of you know what I'm talking about there. So what do you do when you follow a dream and it doesn't work out? What happens when disappointments flood into your life? What happens when you're let down badly, when a dream seems to disintegrate, when a relationship breaks up, when things in your life come to a standstill, or worse, when you're trying your best and things go backwards? What do you do in those situations? Well, what did David Smallbone do? He did what he always did. He turned to God and the whole family got on their knees and began to ask God to help them because the first thing they needed to do was to find God in the situation. They thought they were being led by him and it all turned to custard. And they kept on bringing their situation before the Lord and they determined to do that until there was a breakthrough. I love that little 
Anakka and push. Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Well, things began to happen for the small bones. They were given bags of groceries. They were given the keys to a minivan and odd jobs. And everyone in the family uh, was looking for work. Uh, David's oldest daughter, uh, 15-year-old Rebecca, she had a good voice, so she started singing in local nightclubs. And uh, she was just earning money from her singing. And then, amazingly, about a year and a half later, at the age of 16, she was heard by a record producer, and she was offered a record contract. But the producers said, hey, we're going to have to change your name. Uh, because Smallbone doesn't really attract very many people. So when she produced her first album, she used an old family name, St. James. And Rebecca St. James <coughs> went on to be one of the most successful Dove and Gravy award-winning Christian artists of the 90s who sold millions of albums and wrote lots of books. But God allowed the small bones, to go through an incredible time of testing so that he could bring them to the place of blessing. You don't know what God is doing in your situation, in your circumstances, because he can turn defeat or apparent defeat into victory if you will just put him first. You never know where your supply is going to come from. Elijah had given it all. He had done his best. And because Israel hadn't turned back to God, Elijah felt that he had failed and was no better than the other prophets that had gone before him. He had a completely unrealistic expectation. And that always leads for disappointment. You know, sometimes we call our unrealistic expectations dreams. And when the dreams don't happen... Disappointment can really set in. Elijah was on the run. He was physically and emotionally burnt out. He wasn't thinking clearly. And often that is a characteristic of burnout, that you just don't see things as they actually are. Elijah thought he was the only one left in Israel serving God. But God says, hey, look, I've got 7,000 other prophets that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Even though Elijah wasn't in the right place, even though he's writing a suicide note, despite all of that, God was looking out for Elijah. And I can't find one place in the scripture where God got mad at Elijah. Quite the contrary. He sends an angel with food and tells Elijah to eat and sleep. And that was the first stage of recovery for him. You know, you can be honest with God. And tell him how you feel because God is always more interested in restoration than he is in punishment and restitution. In the middle of your disappointments, look for God because he will always be there for you. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. But we also have to do some real practical stuff as well. And the second thing I want to tell you this morning is that we need to pay attention to our physical and emotional health. One of the main causes of discouragement is fatigue and emotional depletion, which go hand in hand. Uh, 
many of my heroes in the faith. Guys like Bill Hybels and Wayne Cadero and Rick Warren and Jerry Cook. They all burned out. They looked after their spiritual tanks, but they failed to look after their emotional well-being, and so they crashed. In the Word, there are so many examples of people besides Elijah who became emotionally drained. Isaiah called it being undone. Jeremiah said he wished he'd never been born. Moses asked God to blot him out of the book of life. Jonah said that for him, death was better than life. And then through history, you've got people like Mother Teresa, Spurgeon, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, all had bouts of emotional depletion or depression. So please, please, please don't think it could never happen to you. There are a number of keys to guarding our emotional health. And we haven't got time this morning to go into those. But the biggest of these, the biggest of these is simply take a break. It's the breaks between the notes that make the music. It's the breaks between the notes that make the music. If I got... um, Katie up on the keyboard here, uh, and she played a C scale. Do it. Go on, jump up. Play down the scale. Just down. Yep, down. Okay, stop. All right, just play one of those octaves slower. All right, she's played that just straight through, no breaks. All right. (laughs) Now pray, George of the world. Same notes, different breaks. Same notes, different breaks. It's the breaks between the notes that make the music. And it's the breaks in your life that'll... Color your life if you will allow them. You will never maximize your long-term fruitfulness for God unless you learn to relax and have fun and take a break. Even God rested on the seventh day. And some of us think we're stronger than God. I, what are the breaks that I have? I love watching sport. I love playing golf. I love going fishing. I love walking in my garden. I love spending time with my wife. All these things build me up emotionally, feed into me. And if it wasn't for those things, you can't keep on work, 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 work. Because you'll be great for a while, but you will crash. What drains me? Personally, what drains me? Excessive counselling, unnecessary paperwork, deadlines placed on me by others. These are the things that, uh, that, that drain me. So I've got to watch out for my emotional health and my physical health as well. Uh, we have to work just as hard 
at building up our emotional tank as we do our spiritual tank. Every one of you will have things in your life that will build you up emotionally, things that you love doing. And I know there are times and seasons in life when you start off a new business. The first six months are hectic. That, that comes first. You put your time and your effort and everything into it. But people, if after five years you're still doing 60, 80-hour weeks, there's something wrong. You won't survive. You won't last. And God hasn't made us to work like that. God has made us to be in balance spiritually, emotionally, physically. Third thing this morning, let go of your offenses and disappointments and trust God to work everything out for good. That's a real key when we come to disappointments and recovering from offenses, which can really pull you down. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. If you love God this morning, he can work things for good. I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. If I can't trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. How good is that? You know, often we can't see what God is doing. It's like we're on the backside of a tapestry. If ever, you've ever seen one of these great big hung tapestries and you go to the backside of it, it's just a, a whole confusion of knots and threads and everything else. And you wouldn't have a clue if you look at the back of it what it actually is. But when you get around the other side, there's a beautiful picture on it. God is looking at the other side. He sees that mess of knots and threads and things in your life, and he knows exactly what he is weaving, but we have to trust him in situations. Through my disappointments, through my mistakes, I have learned that something's been placed in my heart that I just know that I know that I know that I know that not only God can, but he will work all these things for good in my life as I give them over to him. Those mistakes that I have made, the things that other people have done to you, those attacks of the enemy, those things that just happen because we are living on earth, not in heaven, God can turn them for good and use them for good if you would look to him and trust him, but you need to let go of the past in order to take hold of the future. Let's have the musicians. Early in the uh, 20th century, a couple called Charles and Letty Kalman founded the Oriental Mission Society and they worked in establishing Bible training institutes in Japan and Korea. They supervised the distribution of over 10 of scriptures to over 10 million Japanese homes. Wow, that is amazing. However, the intensity of the ministry just took its toll on Charles's health, and he suffered a stroke and was partially paralyzed on his left side. And because of that, he had to return 
to Southern California. And the first few years of them returning home to California, were it was like something died in their life. And they were just grieving because God had called them to Japan and Korea. And here they were, not being able to fulfill what they thought the call of God was for their lives. Every time that Satan would attack them and try and discourage them, though, they sought God. And he would give them scriptures or a text that would be of great encouragement to them. And one day while walking along the seashore, Uh, They remembered the words of a friend who had said that God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but he comforts us to make us comforters. And Letty heard God say to her, pass on the troubled hearts, the things that you have learned, the messages that were helpful to you throughout the years of your trials, pass them on to other troubled hearts. And so Letty Carmen wrote a book called Streams in the Desert, which is probably the best-selling devotional book of all time. But it came out of her hardship. It came out of her difficulties. It came out of her trials. But because she was able to give those situations to God, he was able to use them to be an incredible, incredible help to others. She took her disappointments and trials and desert times and allowed God to pour into her and through her to bless others. God said to Elijah, go back the way you came. In other words, go back to the point where you went off course and then follow God's plan. He said, go back the way you came. Anoint Hazel. Make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi. Make him king over Israel. Finally, anoint Elijah to succeed you as prophet. Elijah's final restoration didn't require a change in feeling. It required a change of focus. He was to release the next generation of leaders in the nation. You know, Elijah had said, I've been working my heart out for the God of angel armies. Well, the all-powerful God of angel armies came through for him. The all-powerful God of angel armies wasn't too big to leave Elijah by himself. But in the cave that Elijah found himself in, The God of angel armies got so close to Elijah that Elijah could hear the whisper, the still small voice of the God of the universe refreshing him, recalling him, telling him what the next steps would be in his life. In the middle of our desert times, in the middle of our trials and disappointments, in the middle of our discouragement and our broken dreams, if we would look to God and trust Him, not only will He change our lives, but He will use those situations and circumstances to bless others. 